Well, hello and welcome to episode number 490 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos and in this special February the 14th Valentine's Day episode, uh, we've got a private jet villa. We look at Istanbul's five runways, an appearance from President Biden. And at long last, we've got another Ryanair story as they've been a bit quiet as of late. In the military news this week, we talk about the new Apple TV miniseries, Masters of the Air, a helicopter crash, and F-16s in the Ukraine. So joining me over in the PTK Master Suite Studios, and hopefully it's, it's cooler in there than it currently is in here. I've just turned the heat and down because it's blooming boiling in here. Hello, Matt. How are you? Hello. I'm all right, thank you. How are good, you? Good, good, good. Now, Matt, I have a special request. Could you oh, come and see no. me tomorrow at work? Because I have, I have a very special piece of Switzerland that Ooh. I brought back for you. Um, unless it's deep fried and or covered in chocolate, I'm not interested. Second part of that was Oh, correct. happy yeah. days. <laughs> Wedding. <laughs> yes, okay, hey. sir. Yes, I shall. Uh, one o'clock, all right? Is that okay? That's fine. Yeah, yeah lovely. Good time. Good. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Very good, yeah. Good to see you, Matt. And also joining us this week, he's back from yet another hugely busy week, flying literally millions of miles across Europe on various aircraft, but always in seat 1A. It's Neville Bounds. Uh, it was, but it was only about 330 nautical miles each way to Belfast City Airport and back uh, this week. Uh, great city, Belfast. I do love that place a lot. So mm. Sue and I are going to go back there again uh, a couple of months' time, actually. Um, but uh, no, it's just for work on this occasion. But as usual, I just saw the office, the hotel and the airport. That was about it. Oh, how very exciting. How Any Any rants this week? Um, a minor rant on the way out. I think the BA ground staff could have done a better job of not forcing the 80-year-old fella, who clearly doesn't fly very often, to check in his very small, soft wheelie what? bag. Completely unnecessary, in my view. Um, so I had a word. Uh, Did you? Good. On the gate. I just thought that was a bit poor. Um, but, of course, as uh, uh, one of our other guests will know... Um, uh, Belfast City Airport uh, can be a bit windy at times, and there's only six thousand foot of runway uh, to play with, so you can't you can't muck about uh, over there. And um, our skipper just touched it down beautifully, gently, but then probably realised, oh, I should have been on auto brakes max, and uh, everything fell to the front of the aircraft at that point. Um, but we didn't do what Carlos and I, I did in Jersey that time, which was the, the smell of uh, very hot brakes oh. as well, I seem to recall. I, I thought you were going to say he touched down and then bounced, he did a pip, basically, and bounced his no, way no, no. down the runway. No, That's no, what no, I thought. We got, we got it stopped. Here, oh, very good. Yeah, very so, good. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you had a good uh, trip, Nev. Good to yes, have you back on yeah. uh, on terra firma uh, armando isn't with us well he might be with us this week we're not sure yet. he's he's was due to be with us this evening but uh, he had a bit of a delay on his return flight so he hopefully fingers crossed he'll be with us before the end of the show he is uh, here nick, briefly in video form if in video else. form yeah, he yeah. is here yeah as well uh, nick is with us in lurking around in the background so we're going to say hello to our our two-wheeled lover of all things motorcycle based uh, nick codling hello oh evening um yeah how are you it's uh yeah i just thought i'd come and uh, just um you know have our uh, poke the bear celebration of um 
love of aviation this evening for Valentine's Day. Oh, how romantic. I know. <laughs> oh. Good to see you, Nick. Uh, we've got a super sub back with us this week. He's been on the show a million times. And, uh, <laughs> Don't say it like that. <laughs> uh, listen, hold on. I haven't finished yet. He's been on the show a million times. And uh, that could be, well, it could increase even more in the future. More on that, possibly in the future, very soon. Uh, it is, of course, our aficionado of all things Airbus. It's, of course, Captain Andy. Hello. I'm back again. And I didn't have the same issues that Nev's captain had. I landed there a few hours after Nev, and my landing was beautifully and smooth and no massive breaking required. It of was course. very windy, though. It you only, had, you only had 10 passengers on board, Andy. I know it was pretty <laughs> chock about it. I didn't go anywhere. Near. My flight was only 193 miles compared to Nev's. Pretty quick. It took us 35 minutes, I think, oh. airborne. Oh, not that's, that's very efficient. Is that because of the wind? <laughs> was it in your favour? No, it was, a, it was a headwind on the way <laughs> oh, there. Okay. The flight back was even quicker. Wow. Do you even get a chance to go above sort of 15,000 feet with that kind of flight. Uh, we went up to flight level 190 on the wheel. Oh, okay. I'd love to say I knew what that meant, but... Uh, <laughs> 19,000 feet, roughly. Okay, right, fair enough. Why is it called that, though, just out of curiosity? What does that mean? What, flight level? Yeah. Because everywhere's at a different... Now, we're just going off on a tangent now. Yeah, Because sea level pressure's everywhere... Everywhere is different <clears throat> at various points of the day. You could take off when the pressure's 1,000 millibars and where you're going, it's 1,015. You'd all be flying at different levels on your altimeter, so they use a standard oh. setting of 1013 hectopascals or 2992 millibars, or whatever right. mercury. Okay. <clears throat> and above a certain level, it's a flight level. Anyway. And, that, and that's like agreed across the floor the basically the entire world okay right yes. yeah yeah okay yes. sorry I, I know but i don't know these things this is why i like apart, to ask these questions apart from it's china good. and russia where it's in meters not feet oh that's another story. that's another conversation yeah okay fair enough we all need to <laughs> learn man we all need to learn yes but thanks for having me again yes it's good to see you andy and um yeah we'll have we'll hear about your adventures hopefully uh later on the show as yeah. to what you've been up to because you've had a busy week as well uh gonna say good evening to all the chat room who's joined us tonight. A few faces in there, bright and early, as always. Going to say hello to Mazus, uh, our local listener, Mazus. Good to see you in there. We've got uh, Alan. Hello, Alan White. Good to see Alan in there as well. We've got Richard Adams. Hello to Richard Adams. He's got a, he's got a pint glass on the icon near his name uh, there on the chat, so hopefully he's having always. a beer. Uh, Hobby Time. Hello to you as well, Hobby Time. Owen. We haven't seen Owen in there for ages. Good to see you in there, Owen. Uh, across the, the pond there as such. Uh, Nana's in there as well. Hello to you. Good evening, everyone, she says. Thanks, Nana. Uh, Chris Marsh, hello to you as well, Chris. Uh, Dirk is in there. Wouldn't be a show without having Dirk in the chat room, would it? Hello, Quite Dirk. right, absolutely. Uh, we've got Ian is also in there. Good to see you, Ian. Mark Priestley, hello to you, Mark. Noticing the glasses there at the beginning of the show. Well done. <laughs> Pilot Pip, hello to you. He's in Lisbon, joining us from Lisbon. As hello, you do. Pip. Uh, Richard E. Flagg, good to see you in there as well, Richard, uh, in the chat room. Daniel, hello, Daniel, from California. California, Northern California. Oh, hello. Daniel's in. Hello to you. That's exciting. 
I know, we're all across the globe we are here. John Jester, uh, one of our uh, regular guests on the show. John Legend. Jester's in there as well. Good to see you in there. Hopefully it's not three in the morning making you are, <laughs> Probably, yeah. Uh, don't forget, if you're listening to our beautiful voices on the audio show and you want to see what we all look like, because, I mean, we're all stunning. <laughs> don't do it! Uh, just look back for us on YouTube. <laughs> Uh, just search for Plain Talking UK on YouTube. Don't forget to hit the subscribe and bell icon to be notified when Matt is clicking the go live button on the system. Because we'd love to have you in the chat room. So we've got loads to get through this week. Tons of news stories to get through this week uh, on the show. Uh, so if all the glorious team are ready, shall we start? Oh, yes. Why not? Let's give it a go, shall we? Let's hit that button, see what happens. There it goes. So, first story in the commercial news segment this week. I think it's a subject that we've touched on previously on the show over here in the UK, but this one's over in the US. comes from aerotime.aero, and President Biden goes on X, as we all know it, Twitter, to demand US airlines provide fee-free, fee-free, family seating. US President Joe Biden has stepped up pressure on US airline industry to offer families travelling uh, to be able to book seats on commercial airliners without having to pay additional fees to sit together. The President took to his official X account, formerly known as Twitter, calling on all airlines to offer free fee-free, God, can you imagine saying that after a few beers only, uh, fee-free family seating when booked on flights with the US carriers. He said you ought to be able to fly with your child and sit next to them without paying additional fees, he wrote on the post, which appeared on X on February the 5th. This latest salvo isn't the first time the president has become involved in the issue, which is being inter uh, interpreted by some to be a small but important part of his early drive to appeal to the electorate before the upcoming U.S. elections in November this year. The election is almost certainly to be a rerun of the 2020 vote, which saw Biden go head-to-head -head with Donald Trump. Biden told airlines in the U.S. to stop charging travelers additional charges to book their seats together when flying with children. And back in March, 2023, the president unveiled a new family seating dashboard via the U.S. Department of Transport, the DOT website, that shows consumers which airlines offer fee-free family seating and which don't. The dashboard, which you can find, is shown in an easy-to-read format and indicates which U.S. airlines ensure that travelers under 13 can sit next to their parents or adult travel companion at no extra fee. According to the DOT family seating dashboard at the time of writing the story, the Alaska Airlines, American Airlines, Frontier Airlines and JetBlue all ensure that travellers under 13 can sit next to their parents or adult travel companion for no additional fee. Allegiant, Delta, Hawaiian, Southwest, Spirit and United Airlines all charge some form of family seating fee, although the applicable ages and charges differ between the carrier's policies. 
Some airlines, such as United, had already made some adjustments to their policies before the March 2023 announcement. The changes implemented by United made easier for families travelling with children under the age of 12 to find and select multiple seats together during the booking process. However, the DOT dashboard uses the strict under-13 guideline. Frontier Airlines also changed its policy back in February last year, ensuring that children under a certain age will also and always be paired with at least one family member when flying. Uh, following in September 2023 last year, JetBlue followed suit by making subtle changes to its family seating policy. And the US Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, submitted a bill back in early 2023 to make it mandatory that airlines do not charge family seating fees for children and 13 years and younger. The bill has yet to be passed. Now, Andy, you have uh, young kids and obviously you fly. Yes. Uh, is this an issue you've seen had face yes in the uk i'm going on holiday this saturday and with jet two i've had to pay for seats to ensure that all three of us sit together i wouldn't mind letting her sit somewhere else but she's only five she'll annoy some people <laughs> yeah that um, could be tricky but he's got a point here there shouldn't be fees for you to sit together as a family that your, your children don't have the choice to be sat anywhere else so what it's just a revenue stream really mm. bit of a cheeky one in my opinion yeah yeah i mean I, I do get why you know they do it that way but at the same time as you say there there should be more exceptions i think available yeah thinking? i get it for i get it for big groups of people who don't want to appear like and then they get spread around the aircraft and complain well tough that's your problem but for families it should be a given really you think an average flight you know one of your aircraft that you that you uh, pilot, Andy, 179, 189? 186 on the 20, and it's 200 plus on the 21s. Yeah, so you, you probably you probably got at least what at least over a half and or over a half of the aircraft is probably made up of families. Yes, with, but it depends on the destination as yeah. well. Yeah, if you go into especially in the summer, bucket and spade destinations, the plane's mm. full of families. Yeah, so it's it's not a bad way for airlines to to ramp up um, their. Uh, oh yeah, you know. and we do find quite often that we get to the point just before the doors close where the cabin crew say, "Look, we're just trying to move people around here and get families sat together." So all airlines do it, and I think it should just be a given, really, that families should be able to sit together. Yeah. So Nev, you've got the next story, and this is right up your alley. I think I can see why uh, Nick has chosen this story for you. Well, I was wondering, actually, when I was looking at it, whether this is something, something which might turn up in your uh, back garden. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's it's yeah. on simpleflying.com, uh, and uh, it says, Have you ever dreamed of staying in a hotel on a beautiful tropical island, unlike anything you've ever experienced? If so, you might be interested in the private jet villa in Uluwatu on the Phuket Peninsula of Bali in Indonesia. The private jet villa is the first world's, uh, sorry, the world's first luxury hotel constructed in what was once a Boeing 737-200. Uh, nestled high up on a cliff, nearly 500 feet above the Indian Ocean, the, the luxurious private jet villa and its two sumptuous suites with ensuite can accommodate a maximum of four people. 
33-year-old uh, Russian entrepreneur and extreme sports athlete Felix Demin uh, created the private jet villa concept in 2020 after having already created the bubble hotel chain and a private villa construction company called Bali Investments. The 737-200 used to belong to Mandel Airlines and in 2014 low-cost uh, Indonesian carrier, carrier uh, Mandela Airlines went into liquidation and had all its assets uh, sold to the highest bidders. The now 41-year-old plane with the registration Papakilo Romeo India India was bought by an Australian who had plans to turn it into a nightclub. The vision, however, never came to fruition and he left the plane abandoned. Well, when learning about the abandoned aircraft, Demin came up with the idea of turning it into a sustainable luxury villa that he could rent out people to people vacationing in Bali. The plane would also be available for weddings and corporate events. Uh, Denim had big plans for the project, but was keen on getting another investor involved, which is where former KGB officer and later banker Alexander Lebed Lebedev stepped in. Uh, whilst on vacation uh, with his family on Bali, he was introduced to Demin by a mutual friend and being an aviation enthusiast, he liked the idea of turning a Boeing 737 into a luxury villa. Lebedev uh, also liked the project's sustainability of using the unwanted aircraft to create something people could enjoy. And after being taken up to the clifftop site, Demin uh, had secured Lebedev's invested $200,000 uh, into the project. It took longer to build than was first thought. And whilst dealing with problems brought about by the COVID-19 pandemic. The project made slow progress, but was finally completed in December 2023. Now open to guests, uh, the private jet villa swiftly owned a place amongst the world's uh, highest high-end resorts. Um, and uh, when speaking about how difficult it was to make the dream a reality with the South China Morning Post uh, newspaper, Demin said, it was my dream to make this happen and I achieved it, but it was incredibly hard and I won't be able to, uh, won't be making another one. There's a billionaire in the US who wants me to make one for him. He is already uh, the plane and the land. He says, just come and renovate it and he'll write me a blank check. I turned him down. I have 150 finished and ongoing construction projects, but this one project was more difficult than all of them put together. Well, guests can book the private jet villa for slightly more than $2,000 per night, but depending upon dates, the price can also rise to as much as $6,500. And the private jet villa also features a helipad to allow guests to be transported from uh, Denpasar International Airport to the villa by helicopter. How about that? Now, mm. while you're reading that story, Mr. Barnes, <clears throat> I had a little look on a very well-known uh, travel booking site on uh -oh. there, which we use in the UK called booking.com, funnily enough. Um, now, bear in mind, you do get a breakfast if you book this place. You get a breakfast, continental breakfast included. Um, for four people, Matt, just have a guess, how for four people for a week, for one week in this. What, in that? In this, for one week, for four people. I'm going to go absolutely crazy. With a continental breakfast. So not even a full English. No, no. Just a... Cold, cold croissants. And, Just cold uh, yeah. croissants and some Ugh, fruit. Yeah, I'm already and, no longer interested. Yeah, um, four people, one week. Four and people, is, four uh, people one is... week. I'm going to guess at £1,500 a night. Any advance on that, Nev? Um, I would say $2,000. Uh, Andy? 
what per night or for the no, whole for the week? week for the whole week for oh four, for the whole week oh for the whole week uh, uh, seventeen and a half grand. Nick, uh, I'm going to go twelve twelve grand. What? So you can we can book this for us uh, four of us PTUK hosts to go and have a week here uh, this year uh, in October. To be fair, the pictures I saw there was only one double bed, so uh, no thanks. Uh, um, <laughs> bear in mind, you get the continental breakfast with this. Oh, thank goodness for that! Okay. I'll I'll really enjoy my stale croissant. Thank you. So for that week in October, the beginning of October, it'll set us back uh, twenty seven thousand and ninety five pounds. Sorry, say that again out loud, please, slowly. £27,095. For the whole week for four people. For the people. whole week for four of us, yeah. Right. Uh, to me, staying in somewhere like this is like somebody who works an office job going and spending a week sleeping in an office. <laughs> so you can, you can keep it, thanks. It's beautiful. Lovely part of the world, but I don't want to stay in an aeroplane. I mean, I, I would just because of that. I, I quite like the idea of staying somewhere a little bit quirky, a little bit different, a little bit unusual, but never in a billion. Even if I had a billion pounds, I would not spend twenty seven thousand pounds. OK, I've, I've adjusted it now. I've done it just for one night. Oh, right. OK, okay just for one. I'm sure, night. That'll, I'm sure that'll really help for four of us uh, with the continental breakfast. You're obsessed with this continental breakfast. If it's not three. if it's not deep fried, I'm not interested. <laughs> yeah, can we not three. upgrade it to a full English? Yeah. Three thousand three hundred and two pounds. If they not. throw in some bacon, I'm in. <laughs> I mean you but you could not being funny, you could have a weekend like say at the Dorchester for that much, you know, in one of their five star suites and have the most amazing time in London. <laughs> Do you know what? one of the, one of the funniest things though, if you if you go on if you go on booking.com and you f- go through the um the list and stuff, it, it gives you the accommodation as the jet villa, blah blah blah. And one of the lists of stuff that it says that you get in the room is toilet paper. I'm sorry, say that again. <laughs> you definitely get toilet paper. Oh, thank goodness for that. Yeah. Can, I, can I just say, Alan's comment, it says, how much is it to stay in it without actually buying the plane? <laughs> I think, actually, I, think, I yeah, dare like, say, you probably could buy a second-hand 737 for less what, for than 27 No, 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 don't be silly. That, that, <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't I'll tell you what, good. then. I will rent out my pub for a week for four people for 20 grand there we go oh, yes very <laughs> generous uh, will the bar be stocked yes oh, oh that's very good oh it's very good of you thank you <laughs> will there be a full english yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, there is no food apart from bar snacks there is no toilet or hey. water but it, it's still ch- cheaper than the look yeah. i'm not i'm not being funny it might be a problem for carlos but uh, but uh, frankly a card of scampy fries is my idea of heaven i'm not gonna lie <laughs> 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 I've got a point there, guys. It's sold. Right. Anyway, moving on to the next story. Andy, you've got uh, you've got this next one. Lovely, yes. This is from NL Times in uh, the Netherlands. This is airline pilots protest against plan to operate flights with only one pilot in the cockpit. Airline pilots handed out flyers at Schiphol Airport on Monday to raise awareness about plans to allow flights with only one pilot in the cockpit, what they believe to be a worrisome development in aviation. They reference plans by aircraft manufacturers, specifically Airbus, in which technology will be used to replace the second pilot in the cockpit at any given moment. Sounds dramatic. Uh, Dutch Pilots Union VNV said it has not 
been proven that such a move would improve safety. Quite the opposite, the Labour Union argued, deeming it essential to have two pilots working together in the cockpit. International studies and practice show that humans are the essential factor for high safety standards in aviation. For example, a system lacks creativity, resilience, leadership, teamwork and survival instinct. The Pilots Association argued, We support new technology that benefits safety. Two pilots working together with that technology takes safety to a higher level. In addition to aircraft manufacturers, the European Aviation Authority, EASA, also appears to think such a change has potential, according to the VNV. The union noted that the regulator already indicated last year that it would consider allowing flights on a limited scale in 2027, where aircraft are flown by one pilot. However, EASA deemed it absolutely unrealistic for all aircraft to be manned by a single pilot by the end of the decade. The Aviation Authority said this was mainly due to the degree in which it expected automation to advance in the coming years. VNV asked the aviation companies not to gamble with safety and to stop replacing a pilot with unproven technology. The Labour Union made this appeal together with other international pilot associations. The Dutch Union also wants an independent and scientific investigation into the plans and this should focus on the medical and psychological implications, I'd say physiological implications as well, but also on the cost and benefits of removing a pilot from the cockpit. Discuss. No. No. I dare not. <laughs> Are we allowed to say uh, BS on this? On this? <gasps> oh! Okay. Um, um, I mean, I, if you give me a good reason, yes, is the short answer to that. Dear, dear, dear. I mean, this this discussion has been going on for a long time, and yeah. I don't know how many times uh, we have to say once again that it is completely unrealistic. Um, and uh, with the current level of technology, and there have been many, many situations where the decision making that goes on between the two guys in, or girls in the cockpit um, saves the day. Uh, if there's uh, some sort of incident, let alone the other things that um, Andy's just mentioned as well. I, I just find it incredible that this is even up for discussion, um, let alone the, um, the, the labour market that, that goes with it as well. Um, that, that, that it will be a, a massive uh, change in, in the operation of, of the whole thing. And I just do not understand why it's a thing, why we're even discussing it. I don't even think it's technologically possible with the current generation of aircraft as well. You would need a brand new generation of aircraft. I was in the sim last week playing with some failures that I was just testing out. And one of them put the Airbus, the 320, into its absolute lowest electrical state called the emergency electrical config. You have no automation in that phase. And that's with uh, all generators lost on the aircraft and the rat powering um, a small um, generator. How would automation help in that situation? You need two pilots because there's so much going on. So it doesn't seem realistic to me at all. Maybe another 30 years, not the next generation, probably the generation after that. But I think it's a pipe dream still. Um, Azus makes a very good point. Um, we would all be okay um, with uh, an auto. Just add not. Yeah, 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 we'll be yeah, fine. Yeah. <clears throat> I think all commercial airliners should have an auto. <laughs> and also, I don't. I don't want to fly one by myself. You'd be bored. Not just that. Then everything really does rest on you, and there is no sensible voice sat next to you. If you went down a path that was wrong, 
there's nobody sat next to you going, do you think we should try something else or try this? Again, the creativity and also the um, survival instinct as well. I think that plays a very big part in avoiding accident, accidents. Uh, Dirk S in the chat room says, we can't even build reliable self-driving cars. Yeah. <laughs> or ones that don't spontaneously combust. I mean, that, that, that's oh. just a pipe dream. Hmm. And it mentions Airbus in the in the article, and I, uh -oh. I sort of feel as though Airbus don't necessarily have a um, have a vested interest in going down the single pilot route. Mm. Um, you know, you could understand why why airlines would want to cut costs by removing a salary from the from the cockpit, but I feel like the airframe makers, it's kind of more incumbent upon them to develop aircraft which are, are safe and could be yeah. operated safely. But if they develop a single pilot aircraft, then they'll sell them yeah, to these airlines yeah. that want them. Good point. So, um, yeah. Mazus, before we move on, Mazus just says, wouldn't have worked for Sully. No, it wouldn't. No, true. Very I'm true. thinking of the Air Canada Gimli Glider 767 mm. that ran out of fuel. Um, and uh, the lot uh, A3, so that was 767. Oh, 76, yeah. Yes. Um, you know, the, the, there's a big long list of uh, accidents or incidents that, that have um, avoided um, loss of life. And I'm also thinking about the 777 at Heathrow that landed short of the runway mm -hmm. threshold. Single pilot operation is going to help in those situations at all. Mm. Just forget about it, industry people. It's never but happen. I mean, do you, I mean, do you think though? I mean, because obviously there, there's you know big union fights and stuff involved in all this. I mean, do you think that's perhaps the only reason why they don't go down that route? Uh, I think also. Well, put it this way: with all the revenue that's been lost during the COVID nineteen pandemic, mm. um, and of course, just going back to our original point that we were talking about. Uh, bums on seats and, and charging for, for children and all the rest of it. Um, the, you know, the airline industry is, is still in a bad state. They need passengers on board at the moment. And once, if there's any suggestion um, of a potential reduction in safety or a perceived potential reduction in safety, the public will not be flying anymore. And yeah. that would be a bad thing. Um, so I, I think that they have to uh, demonstrate that. Well, let's get the um, let's get some of the other fundamentals fixed first of all, shall we? Like uh, aircraft that don't uh, depressurize at uh, sixteen thousand feet with a um, plug door blowing out and things like that. You know, um, and then I think once we get some of the fundamentals sorted out, the basics um, <laughs> and the QA sorted out, I think then we might have a conversation <clears throat> about something else. Yeah. Hmm. And another thing that people don't realize in aviation is not every pilot is test pilot grid. Some pilots are bang average, yeah? And that's just the way it is. Yeah. And if you've got two guys on the flight deck, you can sort of, I mean, by say bang average, they, they pass all their simulators at the regulatory standard. But you do need, if you had two people like that, or one who's above average, it it increases your chances of being a safer airline as well if you've got if you have to if you cut the workforce in half and then people start failing sims and check rides then you start losing revenue very quickly when you can't fly these flights so, the other thing that's uh, fascinated me is you just abandon it 
Yes, I remember talking to a quite a well-known pilot that we all know um, a couple of years ago, and he was telling me that in some cases uh, in his company, um, some of the uh, flight deck crew don't actually aren't aviation enthusiasts or really enjoy aviation particularly. They they are just there because it's a job like I do my job or Carlos and Matt and Nick do do their jobs. I find that extraordinary, but it's backed up with what you just said, Andy. I think isn't it really? I think I think yeah. that's. Oh, yeah. I think it's too much to expect that every person that is involved in aviation is doing it, you know, because of their love of aviation. I mean, there must be an alarming amount of people who do it literally because it is a job. All right, maybe like the, you know the pilots and that kind of thing. Very much a different story but i mean certainly people working at the airport and that they're not working because they love being around planes and oh yeah that, and aviation that's and stuff that's definitely different but from a flight deck perspective like i fly with some people like oh look at that you don't see very many of them and they're like what so that's 757 over there what's that what it is I, I, inside i'm dying I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. you want to fly air you, you, why are you doing this job if you don't like if looking do, at airplanes yeah, yeah. Um, and I, yeah i don't understand how people go through all the effort and to get an ATPL or a CPLIR, mm. it's a lot of hard work and a lot of money. Uh, you've got to have some form of passion for it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know, suppose. I'm taking other it off in a different direction again. No, 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 that's <laughs> all right. Uh, to Richard Adam is saying, amazing how anybody could drag themselves through an ATPL without a love of flying, which is, which is yeah. essentially the point that you're making there, isn't it, Andy? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I mean, we'll use me as an example, shall we? I mean, I'm not, you know, it's the running joke here. I'm not the biggest fan of aviation in the entire world. Um, yes, I have learned things, let's, you know, but um, I don't have a, a, a strong passion for it. Would I quite like to be cabin crew if I wasn't the size I was? Absolutely. I'd still enjoy it as a job. If you see what I mean, I wouldn't. But I, you know, I wouldn't be that one looking out of the window and sort of saying, "Oh, that, you know, that's a, that's a, an A three eighty. Wow, you know." I'm, I'm not, I think you'll find that's a flaps ten. Absolutely. Oh, I hope he's got the speed tape on that one. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> too much. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, just gonna, just gonna give my contact at uh, Norwich Airport a ring and just get you a job, Matt. Lovely, yeah, fine. I mean, if you know, if I want to pay sort of more than what I'm being paid at Lexham, that's it. I'm I'm off. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Anywho, right, moving on to the next story. Um, and the airport. I've been interested to hear whether Andy's flown into this um this in, in uh, airport yet. Uh, I can tell you now, I haven't yet because this has opened recently, but I flew over it, and I'm staggered at the size of it. Ah. This is uh, from F, uh, fl360aero.com. First in Europe, three aircraft, they say, will be able to land and take off at the same time from Istanbul Airport. So in a development that would be considered a first in Europe... Turkey is preparing to install a system at Istanbul Airport that will enable three aircraft to independently land and take off simultaneously. Minister of Transport and Infrastructure, Abdul Kadir Yilroy, 
Yeah, bless you. Uh, stated that uh, they've been working since 2022 on the project, he said. Simultaneous independent triple parallel runway operations, or triple runway operation TRO, application in order to use the available resources at Istanbul Airport is the most effective way, he says. With the implementation of the application, Istanbul Airport will be able to make independent triple landings and takeoffs at the same time. According to the European Aviation Report, the European Air Navigation Safety Organization uh, for this airport says they, it's the busiest airport in Europe with an average of 1,309 flights per day between January and February the 4th, he said. Istanbul Airport is the apple of our eye, he said. We need to further strengthen its position, its rights, in order to use the available resources at Istanbul Airport in the most effective way possible. Uh, work was started back in 2022 for the implementation of simultaneous independent triple parallel runway operations. And with the implementation of the project, Istanbul Airport will may, uh, be able to make uh, independent uh, triple landings and takeoffs at the same time. They said that we'll be starting training on the subject next month and think the trials uh, are going to start this year. This system exists only in the USA in the world and not in Europe and when they open it in Turkey it'll be the first in Europe. The announcement significant uh, is uh, uh, signifies a major step uh, towards enhancing the operational capabilities of Turkey's largest airport and one of the biggest civil aviation hubs in the world aligning with the nation's ambition to position itself as a leader in aviation infrastructure and services. He said that with the introduction of the application, the flow of air traffic at Istanbul Airport will ensure uh, be ensured safely and quickly. Starting, uh, stating that the safety analysis study of the application has been initiated by the General Directorate of State Airports Authority with the Eurocontrol Agency, he also said. The works carried out at the Eurocontrol unit in France are planned to be completed this year. And Turkey will be one of the few countries in the world where the application is made. In the current phase of development, the hub can handle 90 million passengers a year. However, the airport has a potential to serve 200 million passengers a year after completing all phases. All of the planned four phases of the airport's construction and expansion, including six runways, are expected to be completed by 2028. Giving information about the use of IGA, Istanbul Airport, and the incoming demands, he said that currently Turkish Airlines has an impact of nearly 80% at Istanbul Airport and they want to increase the diversity at the airport. There is a demand from foreign airlines and they want to attract other airlines as well. And they also said that we want to manage the process with a behaviour that will not harm the position that Turkish Airlines has achieved now. Turkish Airlines is a serious brand of ours, he said, which is a huge airline, flies everywhere around Europe. Uh, earlier on, during the IGA's 2024 press conference, Sahatin Bilgin, the deputy CEO of IGA, was optimistic about the airport's future growth plans, building on the success of 2023 despite certain challenges. He noted that throughout 2023, the airport had received an investment of approximately $172 million, or 160 1 million euros. Regarding the growth plans for 2024, the company is further aiming a total investment of around 656.6 million euros in 2024, with 331.2 million euros 
allocated for the construction of the east-west runway and north-south runway. Now, Andy, you said you haven't flown in here yet, but you've flown over it. Um, I mean, the pictures, it, it, it's rather large. Yeah, I've flown at several of the old Istanbul airports, uh, but not this one yet. But yeah, I have flown over it, and even at 30-odd thousand feet, it, it, it's a city in itself. And there's enough room between all of these, the main runways, to allow all of these parallel, independent approaches to take place. It's a crazy place. It's mad. Because, I mean, obviously, in, but, in Heathrow, we have, obviously, you know, takeoffs and landing on two separate runways, but um, this is something, a whole new level. Yeah, I mean, you see airports this side in the uh, in the States, but nothing in Europe, really, of this sort of magnitude. What do you think, Nev? You'll end up going here before you... Uh retire the hmm well although we've got lots of customers in turkey it's not part of the area of the world that i look after but from a strategic point of view if you think about you know where it is in the world and what a superb gateway it is between the middle east uh, europe and the us as well uh, with very long runways i would imagine as well because it gets quite hot in that part of the world um, so it can handle almost any situation but as uh, john jester pointed out in the chat room just now it takes a long while to actually get around the airport in terms of navigating from one terminal to another unless they've got some sort of high speed uh, passenger transport but imagine walking from one terminal to another, for example. That could be mm. quite a lot of steps, couldn't it? Yeah, yeah I know that it? Um, this airport, I think, mm. is is quite heavily used through people wanting to go to Dubai and not have to pay a fortune because you can fly to here and then go from Turkey to Dubai in quite quite reasonably priced, actually, mm. with mm. Turkish Airlines. So, yeah, it's, it's quite a major hub as such. But, uh, yeah. I'm hearing a lot of good things about Turkish Airlines in terms of their... Uh, business class cabins as well I've seen many reviews on those recently and they are very good indeed so might be worth trying that out one of these days are they part of one of the alliances nev i think can't remember um, uh, they i think world, no, i'm sure they were they... Oh, i can't remember whether they're star alliance or one world or neither i think the star alliance turkish mm. yes i think you're right yeah yeah mm. so there we go so matt Mm. We've got a Ryanair story for you. A what Finally. now? What's one of those? Finally. <laughs> Remind me what that is again. It's been a while. Uh, yes, uh. indeed. Uh, it, the journal.ie is source for this one, and the headline is Ryanair apologises to man who was wrongly banned from flying with the airline. Ryanair has Ooh. sincerely and unreservedly apologised before the High Court. Wow, it got as far as High Court to a quantity surveyor who claimed that uh, he had been wrongly ba wrongly banned from flying with the airline. Owen Michael Cahill sued the airline who he said had defamed him after it was after he was wrongly accused or it wrongly accused him of engaging in disruptive behavior on a date earlier this year which he neither travelled on a Ryanair flight nor was he present at Dublin airport. Also he also claimed that he been defamed by Ryanair after it wrote to his employer informing it of the ban 
uh, today, Mr Justice Rory McCauley said, was informed that Ryanair wished to apologise to Cahill and that the fight, flight ban uh, that was incorrectly imposed on him had been withdrawn. Oh, well, that's very big of them. Uh, the airline said that Cahill had been mistakenly identified as a disruptive passenger, alleged to have been involved in an altercation with the airline staff, which required the assistance of airport police on the 2nd of January last. The airline represented by Martin Hayden SC said it accepts that Cal Hill was not this passenger has offered to make amends to Cahill and to pr- correct the record with the plaintiff's employer. Uh, it has offered to write a letter to his employer stating that the message it sent to Cahill's employers was inaccurate and that all the allegations it made against the plaintiff were r- fully withdrawn. Uh, it has also offered to pay him €10,000 compensation plus his legal costs as may be agreed. Uh, in his action Cahill said he is employed by the Jones Engineering Group and is currently working on a project in Copenhagen in Denmark. He claims that the flights he takes between Denmark and Ireland are purchased by his employer. He was due to fly with Ryanair from Dublin to Copenhagen on the 2nd of January, but after extending his leave, he did not travel on that date. The following day, the 3rd of January last, he claims he was defamed in an email sent to his employer by Ryanair's customer services. The email he claimed contained a false and untenable allegation that he was disruptive on his journey through Dublin Airport and that he was uh, prohibited from flying with Ryanair again. He claimed uh, what had happened to him would have been dis- could have had uh, would have had disastrous implications on his professional reputation, especially as has t- as he has to travel to Denmark as part of his job. I won't read any more because the story goes on, but you get you get the gist. He's a here. bit he's a bit miffed. <clears throat> yeah, and I think he's got very good reason here. I mean, especially. I mean, presumably, I, I suppose the only saving grace in this scenario is that the his employer will have known that he won't have been flying that day, um, mm. so at least wouldn't have accepted Ryanair's account of events, if you see what I mean. But, I mean, you know, we're not being funny. If you receive a communication... I mean, do they have a right? Is, is it because, Perhaps it's because they booked the ticket, maybe, is the reason why, because would, they would have yeah. had their... You know, he would have had the employer's, uh, you know, contact details, if you like, uh, and therefore the right... That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because they they, they don't have any of the rights to contact your no. employer. No. Uh, it's just because they'll have been the, uh, the, the booking yeah. agent, if you like. Yes, indeed. Um... But yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, I, I, ironically, in this case, I don't think it was potentially as uh, defaming as as it otherwise could have been. Um, but um, I, I mean, a large part of me is a little bit concerned, though, as how as how he was incorrectly identified, especially as he wasn't even there. Bit well, of a strange one. They get a lot. There's a lot of people get banned. Mm. You wouldn't mm. think it. But a lot of people do get banned, so mm, an error, but a costly one for Ryanair. Yeah, absolutely, especially ten thousand euros in compensation alone. Yeah, very, very nearly as good as the five five thousand points Avios points that we got each. Mm, a whole five thousand. <laughs> we're never going to hear the end of this, are we? No. Oh dear. No, anyway, not. moving on to the next story, Nev, and uh, this is something. Uh, well, 
that when I saw this this story break earlier on in the week, it did baffle me as to how the heck this person managed this. Well, do you remember a few weeks ago we were talking about uh, someone getting on a plane from Copenhagen's Kastrup Airport and flew to LAX, which is uh, entirely normal. However, th- this one uh, is very similar because on bbc.co.uk it says that a man is accused of flying from London to, to, to New York without a passport. And he's, he's been arrested. Great. Well, a man who allegedly flew from London to New York without a passport or boarding pass has been arrested after he failed to appear at court. Oh. Now, I'm not an expert, but that's probably where this has gone wrong, mm. with him not showing up. Uh, but how he got there in the first place, we don't know. But Craig Sturt has been charged uh, on the 25th of December with obtaining services by deception, being unlawfully airside and boarding an aircraft without permission, the Met Police said. Uh, the 46-year-old of Slough in Berkshire was due to appear at Uxbridge Magistrates Court on the 22nd of January. He was arrested on Monday. It's understood that Mr Sturt travelled on a British Airways flight from Heathrow Airport to Terminal 5 on the 23rd of December without a passport or boarding pass. Police said he was first arrested at about... Um, 8 o'clock GMT on 25th of December after arriving back in London on a flight from New York. Uh, British Airways said it was assisting the authorities with their investigation and uh, Heathrow Airport spokesman said all people who go airside are subject to security screening including the individual involved in this case. We are supporting the authorities with their ongoing investigation. Uh, The Border Force said it would not comment. Not surprising, really. Uh, Mr. Sturt was arrested in Richmond, southwest London, at about eight o'clock in the morning uh, on suspicion of failing to appear at court, police said. He's also been taken into custody at a London police station. Oh, dear, dear, dear. It's happened again, hasn't it? Um, well, the first thing is that if the... Um, airline is found to be wanting in terms of not doing correct uh, security checks in terms of documentation they can be fined an awful lot of money uh, that's the first thing but if you think about the other part of it how on earth is this even possible um, for uh, passport checks not to be done at the gate or pre-boarding or the boarding pass itself with the automated procedure or even manually checking I I'm just at a loss to know how that's uh, even even possible especially on a uh, US flight as well how how do you at uh, T5 every time I've traveled through there you have to scan your boarding pass to get through security yeah so he's, he's got past that and then at the gate they scan your boarding pass and check your passport alongside it. Yeah. So he's been charged with the right thing, deception, because he's definitely deceived his way definitely through Definitely something, hasn't he? Yeah. But I just... And then on the aircraft, I mean, 23rd of December, I'd have thought it'd been quite a busy aircraft at that time of year. Mm. So he's yeah. managed to find an unoccupied, unbooked seat as well without being challenged. Crazy. I just, I, oh, he must have been... Really, I mean... But, I mean, the other thing that astounds me is how he's found that seat without being moved about 15 times. Yeah. But the that's the bit that astounds he, me. <laughs> he has gone through passenger, he's gone through screening, through security. So he couldn't have posed a threat with anything on him. Mm. Just reading between the shot. lines here and wondering whether or not he might have had any counterfeit documents, perhaps. Is that possible? Maybe. I mean, oh, yeah, I are. Mean, are counterfeit passports 
a thing nowadays, given the extra layers of security that they have in them? And, and well, yeah, would I mean, it even yes, be possible to have one that's good enough? They're not necessarily being... Again, it depends a bit on what's going on. The passport itself may not actually be being scanned. You know, if you're not actually... You know, if it's if it's a good copy, for want of a better word, and yeah. as long as everything yeah, all marries up, um, you know, and you choose not to use the e-gate, then that's fine. But but as I say, it's the not that the bit that's blowing my mind here is the fact that he sat in a seat and is. I mean, that's if that is the case, as I say, and there's lots of information as always, unfortunately, with these stories that is clearly missing from the narrative here. But to choose a seat to sit in that meant he didn't get challenged is a lot of nerve didn't it yeah, yeah i mean and, and also incredible luck yeah as you say especially like <laughs> that time of year andy where it's going to be super busy and yeah all that kind of thing it doesn't it just doesn't I'm, make doesn't make sense i'm surprised the americans didn't arrest him Th- that was my point really um because let's face it uh U.S. immigration, especially in New York airport area, uh, lovely, is, um, lovely people. It is very strict, <laughs> and you really don't want to visit the special room, do you? So you should no. be doing as you I nearly ended up in the special room <laughs> when I, when I came to see Armando. I nearly got, ended up in the special room because they. I didn't realise this little scrap, and it was literally a scrap of paper that they give you. I had no idea how important it was, mm. and so I. Sort My of wife like, ended up in the special room. Oh, did she? <laughs> yes, because her previous travel for work had been through India. Uh, several areas of the Middle East. So they wanted to have a long chat with her. Oh. Mm. Let's, so not, must, must, let's not this, start this guy, on Neb's muff. Yeah. <laughs> this guy must have ended up in some special room and then returned back to the UK. Yeah, indeed. I mean, uh, we, we could always ask the resident American what he thinks of this yes. story. Joining yes. us. <laughs> Hello, Armando. Oh, hello. I was just uh, joining in right as you guys were talking about how charming the New York customs folks are. Yes, absolutely. No, never in doubt. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm actually, uh, of everything that you guys said, I, I love Matt Matt's comment because in, in today's day and age, how, how could you just sit down at a seat and, it, and then the third time you get moved, not create a suspicion by the flight crew? Mm. But... Tremendous luck, but I guess that's the plot of Catch Me If You Can. But also, I mean, like, you know, because I've, I've, I've accidentally sat in the wrong seat before, and when I've done that, the first thing that the cabin, you know, if, if the cabin crew sort of, like, come down, or if, if there's people moving around, like, nothing, like, peaks cabin crew's interest more than people moving around, like, you know, when perhaps they shouldn't be. And, like, the first thing, like, when, when I did that, when there was a dispute, because I was adamant that the seat that I was sitting in uh, was mine. Mr. Uh, Smith, I, why are you in 1A? I, I was absolutely wrong, uh, I should stress. I completely got it wrong. Um, but the first thing they do is they don't ask you for your seat number. They take your boarding pass off you and have a look at it themselves. That's what I can't get my head around. Uh, Stuart's uh, saying in the chat room, he's saying, I take my hat off to the guy that's managed to get through all that security without being caught. It's, uh, it's uh, it, it also saying you were trying to uh, to bag a first-class seat. That's why. Yes, I mean, shh. <laughs> I, want, I wanted the Nev experience. I wanted the seat 1A experience. <laughs> you know, 
Uh, am I in seat one? You know, are we in seat one A on Ryanair? By the way, when we go, is is that is that a thing? <laughs> I'll tell you what, Nev would soon have something to say. If oh, he, he got would. On board yeah, and find absolutely. Someone sitting in that seat. Yes, and well, I suspect he wouldn't be very polite about it. <laughs> no, God, no. <laughs> oh, anyway, Mundo, lovely to see you uh, here. You've had uh, you're, you're literally hot off the uh, tar- or hot off the um, tarmac, aren't you here? Yeah, we. I just flew back from Naples, Florida, uh, which is actually going to fit into the <laughs> next story that we have. But uh, yeah, uneventful flight, beautiful day to fly. Um, <laughs> Andy, sorry, I only flew two segments today, so just down and back to Florida, where it was beautiful and gorgeous and slacker. Thirty-nine thousand feet slacker. looked beautiful today. <laughs> it did look good. Well, quite. Yeah, mm. um, I think. I would like to go ahead, Matt, if you have it yes, ready for the next story. We'll still play out the videos. Yeah, okie dokie. Here we go then. Approach to Naples, Florida. I was actually uh, in Naples the day after it happened. I had a friend of mine that was uh, in Naples flying for one of the charter companies the day it happened. He was actually the one uh, holding short of oh, the you've changed uh, when this mishap actually <laughs> happened. So it's uh, Bombardier Challenger. It's a business jet, very common, uh, based on the Bombardier uh, CRJ series, the regional jet series. The 604 is kind of a mid-sized jet. Uh, all the systems are pretty much the same as a uh, CRJ, a regional jet. Um, this aircraft particularly was operated by Hopajet, it's a charter company, Part 135, on the man charter. They had uh, gone from South Florida up to Ohio to pick up their passengers and had brought them down to Naples. The flight was supposed to continue on back to uh, Fort Lauderdale, I believe, where the company was based, the crew was based. Um, so they say they completed the portion up to Ohio, picked up their passengers and came back. Now, South Florida gets really busy. Uh, Naples, Fort Myers area get really busy, especially with corporate uh, and private travel pretty much all through the winter. And uh, there are, uh, this area is controlled by Fort Myers approach and uh, Miami center, and then ultimately Naples tower. Um, The runways aren't particularly long. They're not, they're not super short, but they're not particularly long. And there's a lot of flight training traffic that uh, operates there in that sort of Southwest Florida area. Uh, Not as much as the East side of Florida, but but there's still uh, quite a bit of uh, small aircraft general aviation, piston engine traffic. Um, so doing a visual approach into Naples is pretty common. It's it's eight out of 10 times, it's what we do. Rare, rarely do we have to do any kind of instrument approaches in there. And they actually prefer us to do these visual approaches because they can kind of sequence us biz jets in with the general aviation traffic. Um, so these uh, this crew was coming in to uh, do a visual runway two, three. Uh, so that's a Southwest aligned runway southwest uh, cardinal direction and uh, they were just turning off of the downwind leg they had called the airport inside they got clear to land they were turning essentially to their base leg uh, which is just a little bit wider than your standard general aviation piston and then at at, uh, if if you've heard the air traffic control vast aviation's got it live atc had it where uh, very calmly the pilot said we've lost both engines and the tower controller said you are cleared to land runway two three the pilot or the the pilot on the radio came back and very calmly again said uh we've lost both engines we're not going to make the runway uh, we'll be putting down on the highway they uh, i-75 runs north south 
uh, right along the base turn, right along their path. It probably looked like a like a really good viable option. It would be to me also. There's uh, that area is very crowded, especially that part right around the airport. There's a lot of golf courses, there's a lot of water, and then there's a lot of homes and neighborhoods in there. So um, if you're not, if you don't have the the glide capability to make it to the relatively short runway, um, that I-75 is is a pretty viable option. Uh, if not, you're going to put it into the water somewhere. Um, they made the decision to just put it down right ahead. Uh, they were likely at, uh, they had initiated their base turn, so they were probably uh, b below 1,500 feet above the ground, so probably 1,200 feet above the ground. That doesn't give you a lot of room uh, when you have a dual flame out. Now, we don't know, and I, I will um, caveat by saying this just happened. There's a lot of speculation out there. There's a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking going on out there. Oh, it could have been fuel exhaustion. They could have run out of fuel. They could have been uh, inadvertently turned the engines off somehow. Uh, we we really just don't know. Um, there are a few things that happened or that could ha could have happened. Um, certainly, fuel exhaustion was the first thing that came to mind. If they had or had not refueled in Ohio to get down to Florida, um, based on the the. Uh, aftermath, the fire that I saw, uh, and some of the people that, that I work with, um, it seemed like the airplane did have fuel on there. Uh, another possibility that, that somebody I was talking to said the, uh, the CRJ has, uh, if the throttles are at idle or if the power levers are at idle, there is, uh, there's two paddles underneath that, uh, actually, um, to shut off the engines. Now those aren't, those aren't particularly like in the way you'd have to well, one, you fly this airplane all the time. You know what those levers do. Um, also, you uh, you have to kind of work at at turning those, the, uh, flipping those paddles up in order to turn the engines off. Um, so that could be a possibility where an in, in an inadvertent crew action could have uh, potentially uh, flipped those uh, those paddles up to essentially turn off the engines, or it could have been a, a, a pure mechanical failure. Uh, based on on something mechanical, it could have been a fuel contamination issue. We really, really just don't know. Unbelievably, the two passengers and the flight attendant survived. And again, it's just an, another testament to even in corporate aviation, the importance of your cabin crew back there. These are these are trained flight crew members. Uh, the the flight attendant that was back there, um, and Bosman's or Sydney and Bosman's. Um, she was a trained flight attendant. She was trained on 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 mid and, and large cabin uh, business jets, and uh, they were transported to the hospital. But by all accounts, they had no injuries. They were able to the pilots were ever able to put the aircraft down onto the run onto the uh, the highway, only striking one vehicle. The person in that vehicle survived also with minimal injuries, and. Uh, and the only the, the now the two pilots did not survive, but that's because the uh, as they were putting down on the runway, there's a it was lined by a concrete barrier, and it seems like the front of the aircraft may have made contact with that uh, concrete barrier at pretty high speed. Um, but everybody in the back was able to get out, and uh, there is a lot of social media footage about uh, right after it happened that you can actually see the the the. Uh, the flight attendant and the passengers running out of the aircraft and kind of talking to one of the witnesses. Um, again, right. So they, uh, 
we just don't know what happened here. We will know in 30 or 45 days once the NTSB uh, publishes a, a preliminary report. And uh, uh, really interesting to me, especially I fly in and out of Naples regularly. It's actually my, my number one uh, air airport that I go to for, for my job. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to, to see what happened in this hap in this uh, mishap. Thanks for for that, Armando. It's it, it's a tricky one, isn't it? It's um, I mean, there, there, I should just say, by the way, there 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 is a video uh, if you want to go looking for it, or you may have already seen it. We've, for obvious reasons, opted not to uh, to share it this evening. Um, but uh, uh, you guys have sort of been, uh, been taking a look at the video. I mean, what 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 is your take uh, f from it, Andy? Perhaps we'll start with you. Uh, yeah, just pretty unlucky in the end to be honest mm. uh with both engines lost and low airspeed it's going to be difficult to control and the video that we've all seen it was sort of lined up with the highway but not quite and well it's 50 50 in that situation can't really critique them on it just um bad luck very tragic yeah they um we do this approach all the time as i said in that video there it's a uh the weather in florida is is great 90% of the time. So we're using these visual approaches to get us sequenced in with uh, general aviation traffic. And the right downwind to runway 23 is uh, incredibly common because most of the jets come down either from uh, off the coast or there's an arrival that comes down the middle of Florida. So uh, so doing this this right downwind where you're, you're essentially at 1,500 feet, and as Andy can, can attest to it, you know, you're in a, you're in a visual situation, 1500 feet turning downwind to base and losing the engines at that point. Um, they didn't really have a lot of options from what I can see. Uh, there's also, like I said, in the video, just neighborhoods and water everywhere. The highway probably looked pretty appealing to them. And, um, you know, at that point you're, you're probably thinking, what can I do to minimize the loss of life or damage and uh, and that highway would uh, i i mean i just flew this today right the the visual to two three and that would have been a, a really really good choice knowing that you're probably going to hurt somebody uh but the alternatives are hurt a lot of people and uh as we saw from some of the video there they flew it john jester said it in the chat room they flew it all the way down uh into the ground the the pilots were very experienced I it just I mean this is so preliminary but for me um even experienced pilots make mistakes but I feel like like it's not going to be a fuel exhaustion event I think we're going to find that there was something that went wrong either either they went over the gate and uh or so the the power control levers went over the gate and it sh inadvertently shut the engines off or there was a mechanical that happened there in the last minute there but i i commend the crew for putting it down on the highway and um but most importantly i commend that flight attendant as i said in the video for i mean that's one of those situations where you're almost you're you're probably 30 60 seconds to landing and you think everything is going just fine next thing you know you're you're hitting the ground and you're spinning around and and the flight attendant she was able to get those passengers out um, in that situation where it looked like a, a pretty uh, violent uh, come to a stop 
So, um, man, just um, kudos to the to the crew and the, and the flight attendant for for getting those two passengers out. Yeah, like, like you said, it, it's a very low energy state at that point. You've got a lot of drag, you're using a lot of power, and with no power, you've got seconds, literally seconds, to decide. I'm putting it there, and that's it. So yeah, kudos to them and to the uh, cabin crew. Yeah. Um, I think we've got a second uh, BizJet mishap, Matt, if you want to play that out, and then I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit about this one too. Now, the second BizJet uh, crash that has happened uh, in the past week, uh, another one that's just kind of hits a little bit close to home, it was a Hawker uh, that went down in Colorado. It's a a Hawker 900 XP, uh, November 900 Victor Alpha. This uh, aircraft had just taken off out of Grand Junction, Colorado. Um, the now this is a, another interesting one. Again, we don't know what happened quite yet, but there are a lot of indications that uh, this could have been a, a mishandled situation by the crew. Um, coming out of maintenance, the Hawker is one of a few jets. It's not very common that requires a stall test whenever the leading edges are um, any more than two panels are removed or the leading edge stall strip is adjusted in any way. Um, they, It seems everything is pointing that this crew had picked up this airplane and were going out to do a stall test on this airplane, uh, which is required by the manufacturer. Um, and then they were going to continue on to their to their destination after the stall tests were complete. Um, now, st- <laughs> stalling a, a, a business jet is not a very common occurrence. It's not something that that we do. We do it in the simulator for sure. Um, but conducting stall tests on Hawkers or Lear jets, which are the most common aircraft that require this kind of test, um, it really should be done by trained crews that have uh, specific procedures in place or company have specific procedures in place. Um, the manufacturer has procedures to conduct a stall test, but the FA there's no special certification required for this. The FA doesn't require a special certification for the pilots. You don't have to be a test pilot. You don't have to be a maintenance pilot or anything like that. Letter of the law, any crew member, any certified pilot can go out and do a stall test on, on a Hawker. Now, um, why we think these guys were out there doing a stall test is they had just picked up the airplane from maintenance and they had departed Grand Junction. And uh, I don't particularly agree with this decision, but they they went west towards the higher terrain. So Grand Junction sits right at the base of the Rocky Mountains. If you go east, uh, it just kind of drops away from you, and it's just nothing but flat land. If you go west, it's uh, it's rapidly rising terrain uh, into the Rocky Mountains. Um, they elected to go west towards rising terrain and um, and conduct their test because they um, actually said so on the ATC recordings that are now publicly available. They requested a block of uh, two or three thousand feet. Um, now there and there's some things that 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 don't really make sense to me. Um, this stall test is not supposed to be done above 18,000 feet. Um, I think they requested a block at 20, up to 20,000 feet. Um, the stall test 
requires 5,000 foot of, of complete clearance above the ground, above uh, weather, above anything like that. And those conditions just weren't quite there uh, at the location at the time that these guys requested um, their block altitude to conduct their tests. Now, they don't say on the recording what the test was, uh, or at least not the ATC recording. Uh, the uh, Hawker is equipped with a cockpit voice recorder. Um, so I'm sure the NTSB who went out there um, will uh, determine very quickly what was happening there and what happened uh, inside the flight deck um, that led to this mishap. Um, the aircraft had just come out of a uh, maintenance from a very, very reputable uh, maintenance company. Um, of course, the maintenance company immediately uh, took the necessary crisis actions and, and they are um, working with and, and cooperating with the NTSB and the FAA. Uh, so, uh, unfortunately, uh, both pilots lost their life on this. I believe there was, um, no, it was just the two pilots on board. Uh, and it's just a, you know, again, is it legal? Yes. Is it prudent to go out and do a stall test on an aircraft that, um, that you haven't been trained to do this kind of thing? Um, maybe necessarily not. So we will see what happened with this one. And um, we will check back in with everybody. And once the NTSB releases their preliminary also. Wow. Okay. Ready to go. Mm. No, just, I sent you guys some cool way. video. Yeah. Uh, well, unfortunately, but um, the, uh, I sent you guys some behind the scenes video. Maybe we'll throw it out to the Patreon supporters. Um, uh yeah, of of the leading edge of the hawker and why the stall test is required and things like that. But uh, oh, yeah, this is just a bad. There are some initial indications that there was just some bad decision making before before this flight even took off. So, it's a funny one, isn't it? It is a funny one. Mm. Yeah, and we were just talking about it off air, but. Uh, this version of the Hawker, the 900 XP, I think does have a flight data recorder. We all, all of them have a cockpit voice recorder, but the 900 XP, I, I believe, has a an FDR. So we may get some of the parameters. Um, the one thing that I didn't mention in the video is there was previous reports of ice in the area, and they... Um, the crew elected to conduct the test starting at 20,000 feet. Um, but other pie reps in the area had reported icing um, from 10,000 to 15,000. So it, it is possible, this is purely conjecture, but it is possible that they could have picked up ice on the way up uh, to do this stall test. And, uh, and they may or may ha not have done that. We have a TKS system on the uh, Hawker. So it's a, it's a wet wing. They may not, not have known that there was a little bit of ice buildup. And, and I was explaining to you guys earlier today, um, even just the, the silicone bead that runs down the leading edge, the minute differences in that millimeter differences in that uh, will, will make a, a huge difference in the way the airplane behaves after a stall happens or uh, once a stall begins. So certainly picking up ice would have affected the stall characteristics of the airplane. Um, but uh, yeah, there you go. 
We don't know. Hmm. Well, hopefully that's the last we'll... Um, for a little while, anyway. Everything like yeah. that for a while. Um, moving on, next story. Uh, we'll take a look at Airline Live, or airlive.net, I should say. This one, um, anyone fancy a taser? Armando, I'm guessing it's something you don't generally tend to carry on board uh, the Hawker with you on a regular basis, the taser? No. Nope, not in my flight bag. Really? Oh, that's a shock. United Airlines flight to Newark cancelled after Taser found in pilot's luggage at Edinburgh Airport. Uh, a Newark, New Jersey-bound flight from Scotland was cancelled when the pilot who was meant to fly the United Airlines plane was instead placed in handcuffs after airport security found a Taser in his bag. As you do. The unidentified United Airlines employee, 56-year-old, was arrested and escorted out by Edinburgh Airport security by four armed officers on Saturday, a witness told Edinburgh Live. The pilot, who is from the US, was charged with a firearms offence, as it is illegal in the UK to possess a taser. His arrest left a lot of disgruntled passengers who were hoping to fly back to New Jersey that morning on uh, as the 9.25 a.m. flight was swiftly cancelled. United Airlines confirmed the pilot had been removed from service and this employee, they said, was immediately removed from service and we are fully cooperating with the local authorities, the airline told the Post Saturday. Scotland Police also confirmed the pilot's arrest, saying the report will be submitted to the procurator fiscal which is the country's public prosecutor office yes an interesting way to um end well, your get, career force <laughs> cooperation of your crew members <laughs> yeah i mean uh, i've never thought about taking a taser with me to try and get everybody on side no, i do what you say aren't they good leadership skills there yeah i what think was this so. guy thinking I, 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 I just have visions of, of Nev carrying a taser just to ensure no one sit, sits in seat 1A. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I guess another... Um, Armando, can you carry tasers in the US? Uh, yeah, legally, like on the street. Yeah, sure. On an aircraft? <laughs> uh, no, you can't get them through TSA, no. Oh, okay. So I was but I could have like a collection of tasers in like my car. Do you? Oh, really? I wonder how he got it on the aircraft, because I doubt he got it oh my. in the UK. Plus, who carries a taser? Yeah. <laughs> Not in yes, the States, um, no one. What are you worried about? Perhaps Edinburgh Airport Security thought it was a set of bagpipes or something. <laughs> I don't know. But how, oh, yeah. how did he get his crew? I mean, crew must have their bags scanned as well as, as us. Yeah, as of course. Yeah. So, yeah. so how the hell did he get manage to get a taser through in his... Um, Oh, uh, what? Well, so, in the U.S., we have KCM, a uh, known crew member, which is a super secret doorway usually, and uh, you do get randomed, but it's like every eighth person or something like that 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 has to go through security. So, the majority of the tire airports are so big, and especially the hub airports are so big that uh, if you were to scan every crew member, including uh, cabin crew. It would just take forever. It just would wrap up. It, it would be a huge delays. So we have what's called known crew member KCM, where you can go through a super secret uh, squirrel doorway and avoid security. Now, you still have to. They, they are very explicit. Your company is about you still have to abide by all the TSA rules and you may be randomed. 
um, to go through the full security screening, but but it is entirely possible to go through KCM and have some things. But there are advantages before you think like, well, what is that? There are advantages. So here we still have the liquid rules. We still have all kinds of stuff. Sometimes when you're, you know, you want to pack a water bottle, you want to pack all your food. Um, it's just way easier for everyone to just go through the KCM line. So it is, it is possible, but questions. So like, mm-hmm. why is there a taser in your flight bag? <laughs> Maybe is it was that a taser in your pocket or are you just pleased to see me. Yeah. <laughs> Nev, what's the weirdest reason you've ever heard one of your flights cancel or delayed for? Um, yeah, the, the most, well, yeah, it's been a uh, tow bar breaking, uh, pushed back tow bar breaking and damaging, uh, the front wheel area. Um, that's probably, yeah, that's about the, the worst it's got. But of course, we do actually know someone that operates uh, for this airline, uh, flying the 757 out of Edinburgh to Newark. So um, perhaps we'll ask him. We'll be next. Ask him if he carries a taser. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not worried about Scotland. I'm more worried about Newark. So that's where I would carry a taser. It's, yeah, totally. Well, it's safe to say this. Out in Edinburgh on a, on a bad night, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Standard Friday night out, isn't it? I thought. <laughs> safe to say this pilot uh, definitely got a shock. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. No, nobody's granting that with any form of laughter, Carlos. <laughs> and in fact, if I had a tumbleweed, I'm surprised sound the effect chat room to effect, not, I would have jumped absolutely on. done it. I'm surprised the chat room have not Thumb. jumped on this one. You know, one of our twenty-two thousand monthly listeners has laughed at that. You can find some joy in that, Carlos. Yes, Thank you, indeed. Armando. At Thank least you. one somewhere. Yeah. Anyway, Andy, you've got the last story, and uh, interested to hear what you think of this one, actually. Yes. Well, this is from PaddleYourOwnCanoe.com, and uh, United Airlines reportedly grounds brand new Airbus A321 Neo aircraft because pilots can't turn off the no smoking signs. United Airlines grounded its brand new fleet of uh, A320neo on Monday because pilots are unable to turn the no smoking signs off, even though these signs must remain illuminated at all times when passengers are on board. Aviation insider XJohn NYC first spotted the temporary grounding on social media site X, and a short time later, aviation journalist Seth Miller discovered that United Airlines had asked the Federal Ad- Aviation Administration, the FAA, for a special exemption. Smoking was banned on domestic U.S. flights back in 1990, and a year later the ban was extended to all international flights. But when officials wrote up the rules, they decided that there should still be a way for pilots to manually turn off the illuminated no-smoking signs that appear throughout all passenger plane cabins. Over the years, U.S. airlines have sought and been granted exemptions to these rules, allowing them to hardwire the illuminated no-smoking sign to remain on at all times, removing the ability of pilots to override this feature. In fact, United noted in its letter to the FAA on Monday that the no-smoking signs on all of its Boeing aircraft can't be turned off. The computer software on the new uh, A321neo aircraft, aircraft, which recently joined United's fleet, is programmed to keep the seatbelt sign switched on at all times with no pilots override. But it would appear that United may have failed to get the necessary exemption before putting them into service. Oops. In a statement, uh, United told us we're removing our five A321neo aircraft from service while we seek FAA approval for the no smoking sign to remain automatically illuminated rather than operate from the cockpit. 
Uh, we're working to minimise disruption for our customers, and we expect to cover all of today's 321neo flying with other aircraft types, resulting in no cancellations due to this issue today. We hope to have these aircraft flying again shortly. Uh, later on Monday, the FAA gave permission for United to put the 321neos back into service while it evaluates the exemption request. Uh it was also noted that both uh, Allegiant Airlines and Frontier have recently filed exemption requests for software-restricted no-smoking signs on their Airbus A320 fleets, although both airlines haven't grounded their aircraft while awaiting the exemption. That's an interesting one for me, because I don't think it... Well, they must have rewired the newer 320s, because, and here's a weird quirk of the Airbus family, on... When you're on an aircraft and after takeoff, when the gear comes up, you'll notice on the Airbus that the overwing and door lights that say exit, they, they extinguish. And they are battery powered in the case of an emergency. And the only way due to the wiring that you can guarantee that those batteries will charge is to turn off the no smoking sign. Uh, it's, it's all plumbed in in a very strange way. So they must have sorted that out now. Um, but I believe that switch nowadays is portable personal electronic device switches for these ones. So you can see when they come on and come off. So I don't know if it works the same way that way. But there you go. Bit of a random fact for you there about the 320 family. Certainly the older ones. Just seems like a random. It's just bizarre. Yeah. But obviously, smoking has not, not been allowed on flights for a number of years, or a lot of years. No. And but it's also just weird regulation, isn't it? Why, why would they have to be able to turn them off? Just to save all these exemptions, just change the regulation. We'll is the, is it not moment. as simple as that, though? Is, the, is there an argument that it's not as simple as that? Uh, not sure. I guess it probably has to go through whatever the state's version is of Parliament, Congress, or wherever. Um, to sort it out, I don't. But as you say, surely that's got to be easier than having to have an exemption for umpteen thousand aircraft, uh, just you know, to, just because of a light that can't be turned off because there's no need for it to be turned off. I mean, I'd like I'd like to say that here in the UK, that's not a requirement. Is that not? Well, a that's what I was curious about. Is there anywhere in the world where it is legal to smoke on an aircraft? No, you can't smoke here. There's certainly no requirement <laughs> yeah. to have a light that you have to be able to turn on and off as far mm. as i'm aware yeah i think it's an ikeo thing now it was country-based but i think it's an ikeo thing you know f funny enough though even in the air force uh an inoperative uh ashtray was a grounding item in case somebody decided to light up you have well, yes, to have we, an ashtray we still have to have ashtrays in the toilets yeah. Uh, in case somebody does decide to light up so that we have somewhere to dispose of it. So next time yeah. in an aircraft, you might notice an ashtray in the back of the toilet door, and that's why. That's why. That does beg the question. Nev, can you cast your mind back? Remember the last time that you remember smoking on board a commercial airliner? Um, Egypt Air, on the way back from Cairo, where you could smoke in the back of the plane but not but in the front. 2019? Um, 2018? No, <laughs> I'm just no, 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 no. Um, this is, gosh, 1995, probably. 
I would say, something like that. That I, was when I was on it, anyway. And even though I was in the, the non-smoking section, it didn't make a lot of difference. No. I'm try, yes. trying to remember. I mean, I, I remember. I remember an Air 2000 flight, and I remember we were all sat at the back because that meant that Mum and Dad could smoke. I do remember that, but I don't. I can't remember where we were going now. Probably I space when, the reg- when the regulations like that, yeah. came in when they when they banned smoking on 95, 96. It was around uh, that. Time. Yeah, it was. Ni- I think ninety five IQ. Ni- ninety five to ninety eight is what I read. Yeah. Um, Which, like Japan, being one of the last nations. In the really? 20 in the cockpit, there is, there is on the older ones, there is an ashtray on each pilot's side. <laughs> oh, Which, lovely. Just, literally just, just aft of the side stick. But on the newer ones, they've gone now, and I'm gutted because it used to be perfect for keeping your mobile phone in, your keys, any other bits and pieces that you had, you could just stuff it all in there. But now that they've stopped fitting it now... Sounds like a great place to forget your phone and keys. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's yeah. right next to your arm. You can't forget it because you hit it every time you move the side stick. Do <laughs> so you guys want to know funny? This is a funny superstitious thing. I never fly with my car keys. Never, really? ever, ever. Really? Yeah. Where I had it when it. Uh, well, I fly private, so I have. We have our own hangar, so we. Uh, oh, oh, listen to him. <laughs> Yeah, no, I leave them on the desk. This is this goes all the way back to John John Armentrout, Master Sergeant John Armentrout, um, who was actually shot down over Peru in a C-130. If you guys like listeners, go Google that. It, it was a counter drug thing, and um, this guy was one of my first instructors. And he told me he's like, I was walking out to the airplane when I was like first in the Air Force, and he told me he's like, you don't have your car keys on you. I was like, what? I, I do have my car keys. He's like, listen, don't carry your car keys on you because if we go and make a smoking hole in the ground, they want to, you probably have a good parking spot. We want, you want them to be able to move your car. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. Uh, so for 30 years now, I've never, if I, if I fly and I have my car keys on me, like I, I freak out. Like it's like not wearing your Monday underwear. Uh, I'll go back. I'll I'll be like, hold on, I got to run back inside, and I'll drop my car keys. Um, so well, on that, I've got nowhere to leave mine at work. We can like that. You can open your car through the app, right? So like, I sometimes yeah. I leave my car keys in my. Uh, I'm what car you got? Yeah. A Volvo. Mine's yeah, an old an... diesel. I don't have any apps for it. <laughs> hey hey, Armando flies private, huh? Yeah, he, he, gets, he must be doing very well to have one of these fancy cars with an app. I want to go. I want to start working private then. It's a ball. Oh, it's not <laughs> Oh, great. John says I'm weird. Thanks, thanks, buddy. I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah, that's I was just, thinking that's, it, but I didn't say it. That's just the first of many superstitious things that I do. We also, just Monday. Want to know what your Monday underwear is? On Monday. <laughs> I was just going to say Monday underwear. <laughs> what? You got to wear it seven days a week. Oh my! Now, that uh, brings an end to the commercial segment this week, hey? Uh, but uh, we have got the military news coming up. But we've also had uh, a little piece, a piece of audio sent into us, very short piece from uh, listener Grant McCarran. Those of you who might know of Grant McCarran from the plane Crazy Down Under. Now he's been flying with a certain Evan Shue, who is sometimes in our chat room on a Wednesday night. But uh, him and Evan went up flying last week and put together a little tiny little piece of audio for us so matt if you're ready 
Hit the button. I say, old chap, it's a beautiful day today, isn't it? It sure is. G'day. Oh, yeah, I better go back to normal, hadn't I? <laughs> Carlos saying that I could do a pommy accent that time. Jeez, put me on the spot, why didn't he? Oh. But uh, So you'll be terrified to know that the weather is 31 to 37 degrees today and tomorrow. That's Celsius, of course. And there's not a cloud in the sky. We're going to be baking, not swimming in the rain or, uh, you know, tr- drowning, as I hear a lot of parts of the UK are going. So we just thought we'd, we'd let you know we're looking after summer for you. Yeah, we had a great flight up to Tokenwall um, and uh, checked out the Aerodrome Cafe, the ma- uh, museum, and even a P40. Yeah, uh, Alan Arthur was flying it in, so yeah. we went. We left. We heard the news from a uh, friend, Matt, who runs the place up there. So we were wheels up an hour earlier than expected. So yeah. we were able to get up there and catch up with Alan, whom I haven't seen for years. Yeah. So that was great to see him. But uh, we, we got there just in time for him to do some uh, loops and rolls over the airfield. So yeah. a free air show. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of like, hey, I'm here. I mean, yeah. you know, it's serious. Uh, yeah, we're coming in on the uh, <laughs> RNP, just practicing. Then got to go mist and join a, a cross, you know 45 degree on the downwind and come in and land. Alan comes in in the P40. <laughs> Big barrel roll over the airfield. I mean, you know, if you can, why the hell not? It was the best. <laughs> yeah. But I've uh, got some photos. I'll try and share them with you guys. But, uh, yeah, hope all as well. Survive the winter. Soon enough, we'll be complaining about, oh, my God, it's five degrees and grey and raining. Yeah. We'll, we'll enjoy it while we can. Yeah. We'll look after summer and we'll send her back to you looking uh, <laughs> not too worn out. <laughs> Anyhow... Just thought we'd say hi. Uh, we've just been for a fly. It's been great. And we just wanted to tell the whole world. So, ha-ha. <laughs> Rub it in a little. <sighs> just a tad. Okay. <laughs> See ya. See ya from down under. Oh, it's truth, mate. <laughs> Good day. Hey, let's crack up the barbie. <laughs> Took me completely by surprise there. Sorry about that. Uh, wow. Uh, great. great interview, Andy. You're hired. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very glad I didn't bring that up in a hurry. Very good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> Quite. Well, that, that, that took a turn. Uh, thank you very much to Grant and Support the show on Patreon. You'll hear in the background. Abort. Abort. <laughs> Anyway, as ah. Matt said, thank you very much to Gran and Evan for sending that in. Uh, next time, guys, send us some pictures as well. We'll, uh, Ooh, yes, we'll pop them up on the screen. So, yeah, thanks for that. Now, it's time to hand over the show to our resident master of all things, Gray. All right. Uh, so we have one military story that's going to take up most of the military time, so we'll probably cancel the other two. Uh, but it is the only one that we mentioned in the intro. Matt, let's hit the button. Oh my gosh, the, sh- the shock emoji face was perfect. Because uh, I have a nine-year-old, so the sh- I only speak in emojis. Of course, absolutely. Let's, listen, <laughs> if, you've been, if you happen to be living under a rock and you haven't seen this new show, Masters of the Air, uh, I can't imagine anybody that listens to this show not having already seen Masters of the Air, but we're going to talk about it because I it's haven't... such a good show. 
You haven't seen it? Why not? No. Well, I don't what have is a, your, your excuse? I, I don't have Apple TV. It's a watch party. Go to Carlos's house. Right? Oh, okay. you, you have to see it. This is okay. All right. This is going to be my my plea to everyone. Find a friend that does have Apple TV. Go watch Masters of the Air. It is really good. Is it as good? Oh, controversy. Is it as good as Band of Brothers? Uh, I think it's lacking ever so slightly, right? But that's like, you know... It's like the third version of something. I'm not. I'm not going to lie. Really that was good. that was a, that was a definitive no from Nick. That's all I'm saying. It was very much a I, no. <laughs> I'll agree. It is. It is not as um, impactful as Band of Brothers, but it is really good, right? And I'm I'm incredibly happy that the story is being told about the hundredth bomb group. Um, the the hundredth bomb group, you know, uh, had a lot of fame for being the the bloody hundredth because of their losses, but it is just one story, right? It's one story of so many uh, fighter groups and bomb groups and, and British squadrons and groups and wings that fought uh, during World War II out of, out of the UK. And uh, because of their notoriety, I have, we have all been following the, uh, you know, the Tom Hanks is, is one of the producers on this. Producers, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, yeah, and that's one of the things that I wanted to say is there is actually an, an accompanying podcast. Uh, just I think it's just called Masters of the Air. So go search for that if you're if you're a podcast listener. And it, and it's uh, it's the producers of Masters of the Air just talking about how they went about the story and how they filmed it and some of the behind behind the scenes stuff. Um, but it, but it is such a good story to be told. Um, one of the uh, I think we were all chatting about mm. this in the in the mm. in the last week or so. Um, even some of my friends, Air Force friends, we've all been chatting. We have a hundred uh, Masters of the Air chat going on nice. Facebook. Yeah, because it's such a good show, right? And and, and uh, I've told you guys so many times. For me, as an American airman serving over in the UK, uh, having flown into and out of uh, these old airfields you know whether it was cambridge uh ruffin tibinum barry st edmunds uh scunthorpe skullthorpe you know it, you never it was never lost on me the importance of of me being an american uh flying out of these airfields when so many people before me had had not only taken off but not come back to those airfields um uh, both of you guys matt uh, Carlos, mm. we got a chance to fly out of Barry St. Edmunds, yes. RAF, Ruffham, and and the buildings are still there, right? Mm. Like the control tower is still there. Some of the Quonset huts, the engine shop is still mm. at at Ruffham Airfield. Um, Thorpe Abbotts has a great museum. They're they're probably one of the better museums. Uh, if you guys haven't been there, uh, go to uh, 100thbg.com. 100th Bomb Group. Sorry, 100thbg.com is the 100th Bomb Group Foundation. Um, the 100th Bomb Group Museum is uh, 100bgmus.org.uk. But go support these people. I think they were actually worried about the the amount of people that were going to come to the museum. Yeah, so uh, they... actually, uh, can I chip in there, yeah, no, uh, go ahead. please, uh, Armando? Because 
many of you know that I'm, I'm both, well, both me and Carl's very heavily involved in Park Radio, and we were actually invited to um, a set of meetings. Now, I don't think I'm, because it was a public meeting, so I don't think I'm saying anything that was, that's controversial that, that we're not allowed to talk about on here. Um, but the meeting, which was being uh, hosted essentially at Thought Abbott's in one of the the mission huts we had a little wander around the um control tower afterwards by the way just to you know because i knew i'd get told off if i didn't um and while we were there we were having a conversation so there was lots of representatives um not only from the thorpe abbott museum but also several of the other museums in the area there was representatives here from flixton obviously because that was an american air base as well uh there were people coming from northampton and all that kind of thing all people who have been included if you see what i mean and, and will at some point appear during this um this this run of tv i think it's nine programs isn't it in in the run if memory uh serves um, and one of the things that they were desperately concerned about, because uh, resources are, are really, really limited, uh, and all of these wonderful museums here in the UK receive absolutely zero funding and rely 100% on volunteers. And one of the biggest things that they were concerned about, which is why this sort of extraordinary meeting, if you like, had been called, called is they were desperately concerned about um, trespassers. And people visiting the museum when there weren't um, uh, like representatives there. And the other problem that was highlighted there as well is there were huge concerns about people trespassing on non-museum land because they rely very generously on the landowners if you like to allow to look after and keep these but these like this land is technically owned privately and you're re you're reliant on um like the landowner to allow you to have access to to what's there the big issue certainly at thorpe abbott from this meeting that i was there was that people would be trespassing essentially on the old landing strip um looking for artifacts and and for sort of all that kind of thing you know and just sort of doing that and because they no, technically they don't have permission to do that because it is private land it is land that is essentially farmed um and so i mean the meeting that that i attended was sort of really a discussion group if you like about how um you know to sort of try and not only get you know get the most out of this exciting thing because in many ways it's really really good news because obviously it will bring lots of um you know uh, people across probably from the u.s especially to come and look at you know come and visit these amazing museums but also a way of sort of like trying to manage it like you know when the open days are and and all that kind of thing and it was a fascinating sort of in uh, meeting if you like to attend because there were some real concerns um uh, about and of course like thorpe abbotts for example it's on an absolutely tiny country road you know that you would absolutely struggle to get a full-size coach down for example um you know uh, the people who live in the communities they're not geared up for large volumes of, of traffic and there just simply isn't the resources to do much about it so whilst it is an amazing tv program that is in the main being very warmly received by um you know sort of like tv viewers and stuff it has caused almost panic i would say uh, with the museums themselves uh, you know trying to uh, trying to work out how they're going to manage this this you know this huge influx of of, of visitors yeah now that being said this this show has been under production for mm. almost a decade, I think. 
and uh, they could have seen it coming. Um, I will. I hope that this turns into a positive for the Hundredth Bomb Group Museum and the Thorpe Abbotts Museum. Um, mm -hmm. The you know because it could be an influx of money. We have here the the Mighty Eighth Museum in South Carolina, um, which is really good, and uh, and. It, but there's, I think, something different about going to visit where it happened. And Thorpe Abbott's is just representative of so many airfields, right? I mean, especially East Anglia. There, there are so many airfields that even I used to try to take my, my motorcycle to and, and just kind of try to get a glimpse of an old Quonset hut or maybe an old runway. Uh, just because like, it was so special to me. It was so the, – the whole thing was so emotional and um, – and just so unique and such a special experience that that not everybody gets the opportunity to have, especially traveling, you know, Norfolk and Suffolk and Essex mm. um, amongst everywhere else. But um, but really, that was the majority of the airfields there. Uh, it's just such a cool. I'm, I'm glad that the show is being produced. Um, all of us aviation nerds could probably critique a thing here or there. Um, for me, it was some of the CGI was a little wonky, but. Uh, but overall, I think the story is being told really, really, really well. Um, one thing that uh, that Nick and I were talking about uh, last week at some point was the, the lineage. So the 100th Air Refueling Wing at RAF Hall still carries the Box D, the insignia that the 100th Bomb Group had back in World War II. Uh, and I think that's pretty unique. I, I know... Air Mobility Command is trying to get away from from markings on airplanes, but I think that's one of the ones that's going to stick with the hundredth um, KC one thirty fives continuing to have the the box D on the tail. Uh, pretty cool. Uh, again, you know, I but it's but it's so special, right? One hundred eighty two crews were lost from the hundredth bomb group alone, and that was one airfield, one group in East Anglia, uh, just. Just really a amazing story being told here. I don't know. What do you, what are you guys' thoughts on it? So but, uh, one of the things that I love about the way again, it came up quite a lot when we were talking uh, about it. Um, was the uh, um, it was it was referred to as the friendly invasion. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because there there were there were so many Americans basically who came who came over here. But, oh, you know, you know, to to to, to do a job. Um, but yeah, they did. They did sort of in in this area. Apparently, it was widely renowned. It was widely known as the friendly invasion, basically. Well, I guess I suppose it still is, huh? Because mm. as Americans, for of all the places we could be stationed, England, it's kind of at the top. <laughs> yeah, kind of at the top of the list of places. And um, uh, who in the chat room? Neil mentioned RAF Harrington. RAF Harrington. Um, is special to me because the carpetbaggers were based there, the 801st Bomb Group. And that is that was the beginnings of Air Force Special Operations Command back with the B-24s. Uh, we've talked about that previously on the show, but that, they have a, a great museum at RAF Harrington that uh, you could probably spend an entire day just uh, just going to. Uh, I'll tell you what, um, the next two military stories aren't super trying critical um we can leave those for next week so if you guys want to start wrapping up the show maybe. <laughs> Nev, you, what are you like <laughs> actually i was gonna say 
I haven't understood the last 15 minutes of the show, that's all. But uh, anyway. Just, just uh, I mean... Matt, Even Matt, I've Matt. understood the last 15 minutes of the show. I never thought that would happen. <laughs> Matt uh, already knows this, but I, that you were just sat talking about the museum there at Thorpe Abbott's, and um, as Matt knows, that there is a piece in the museum there in the control tower, which I donated to them quite a few years ago now, a number of years ago now. But it was a uh, B-17 uh, flight, you know, cockpit light which I donated to the museum many years ago. They've got it in one of the display stands in the, um, in the tower there. But it's a great little museum. If you're around this area, a minor mat's neck of the woods here in East Anglia, the, um, it's not a massive museum. It's not huge, but they have packed a lot in to uh, the buildings they, they have there. Mm. I don't know whether you've got a chance to go in the smaller Nissan huts on the right-hand side as you go into the museum, Matt, or not, but... Um, no, I haven't. No, 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 no. no. But uh, yes, moving on to uh, the last bit of the show, we've got some news uh, a bit in a bit about uh, where me, Matt, and uh, Nev uh, are off to uh, in well the end of this month. Actually, it's mm. creeping up on us very fast, actually. But we've been uh, debating when to announce it uh, on the show for a while now. We've had uh, various meetings and gets-togethers and stuff, but it's a question that we are being frequently asked now on the show, and that is about the 500th show. So we made a decision uh, a while back, actually, as to what we were going to try and do for the 500th, and we, as a team, have been offered quite a, an experience, I'd say, guys, wouldn't you say? Uh, definitely an experience to do something for a day, um, which is going to involve us as a team. We've decided that we are going to kind of um, uh, get together as as just the, the whole team, the hosting team and the production team together as well. And uh, we are going to do something very special indeed. Not going to say exactly what we're doing, but trust me, we're going to do some filming for the day uh not too far down the road from where me and matt are here um and we are gonna be having that as our kind of celebration of our 500th show mm. but uh it's going to be a, a, a quite a big day armando is going to be joining us uh yeah. from the us which is also very special indeed uh nick's going to be there nev's going to be there it's going to be a huge day a packed day now that's not to say that we are not going to have uh some very big meetups this year because we are going to plan to have some quite big uh, get-togethers this year uh, in and around the area around the uk as well um so we are going to have uh probably a meetup at duxford this year again and uh, I think we we may well try and push and see if we can get have because one of our best more sort of successful meetups was one of the flyings we had, didn't we, guys, at uh, one of the local airfields here, which was quite a good um, good day. Uh, so we're probably going to have that as well this year. But we kind of made a decision as a group uh, that we were going to celebrate the 500 show together and spend a day together as as hosts because it's one thing is uh which a lot of people don't realize is when we do have the big events that we do for the milestone shows we generally tend to spend so much time apart as a team we don't get to kind of spend a lot of time together as as hosts so we've decided that for the 500 this year uh, our celebration show we are going to do something together as a team but i can assure you the footage 
Uh, Nev, it's going to be quite some quite good footage, I think, aren't we? From the, mm. uh, I think so. Yes, and it should be a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it actually. So, uh, uh, and uh, Chris Marshall was just saying in the chat room, what date is the 500 show going to be? Uh, the answer is we don't quite know yet. Um, so we will let you know on the uh, social medias and also. Mm. Uh, in the chat room and also on the show too. But uh, yeah, it's a sort of long story short. Really, is we decided that uh, for our five hundredth that we would we wanted to spend the time together as a team rather than uh, uh, sort of doing uh, like a big meetup event. Because one of the things that that was, um, I mean, we were talking about it. Um, that we were talking about the four hundredth and the day over at Brooklands was absolutely amazing. We had the best time in the world, uh, but it did suddenly dawn on us. Um, that all of us were all in the same room. Even producer uh, John had made it over over from where they are and all that kind of thing. We were all, for the first time probably ever, in the same room, and we all got to spend absolutely zero time with each other. So, um, <laughs> like a wedding. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Like yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Like, yeah. You, know, you know, so so we thought we were going to be, uh, you know, so please, uh, please, 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 don't be, nobody needs to be offended by this. We all love you very, very dearly, but we decided we were going to be a little bit selfish uh, for our 500th and, and actually just get together as a team and film some very, very special content that no doubt in the coming weeks we will announce uh, uh, what that's going to be all about it's very special really yeah. special content it's going to be very very exciting indeed what we've got planned uh, for the day so yeah going to look forward to that muchly especially you nick i know nick you're you're definitely looking forward very much to what we're going to be doing <laughs> indeed i am yes it's uh, mm. something i've wanted to do for a yeah. long time yeah well uh, and, and that's a good point carlos actually yeah. our, our production team nick and john are uh, such an integral part of the team and they're st- behind the scenes keeping us straight all the time so uh, it'll be nice for um really the seven of us to spend some time together well actually it'll be eight of us um all the 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 core podcast team one yeah it's gonna be yeah. gonna be fun gonna be fun and our no. families too yeah and fam- absolutely and families exactly yeah yeah, yeah. Family, family time, family show, Matt. You would say uh, family show, ladies and gentlemen. Family show. Thank you. Anyway, I don't wish to alarm anyone, um, but uh... <laughs> no, we are off to somewhere very special uh, soon. I mean, Nev, you've got some quite exciting information on uh, what we've got planned, haven't you? Yes, you might have heard me talking about uh, the drone summit that we're attending uh, at the uh, RDS in Dublin. That's on the 1st and 2nd of March. Um, And we're going in a a day earlier as well. We're doing some other filming uh, the day before elsewhere, which will be quite interesting. So that will be great. Um, We are staying at the Claydon Hotel in Ballsbridge, just uh, on the outskirts of Dublin, uh, but right next to the RDS uh, venue itself. I think Matt might have a picture of the hotel we're staying at as well, which uh, does look really posh, I have to say. Uh, I feel like we're going uh, to a private boarding school of some description. Yes, it looks like like Charterhouse. It looks like an institution they might lock you up in. Yeah, absolutely lovely. Well, as long as it's warm, frankly, Andy, I'll take it right now. Three square meals a day, that's fine by me. (laughs) I've told them I'm not doing the Premier Inn anymore. No, no, uh, quite. quite, That's where we're going to be. Um, But uh, because we're going to be there, um, on Saturday the 2nd of March, uh, if anyone is around in the area and we would like to, uh, you would like to meet up with us, we'll be in the hotel there from 6 p.m. Uh, in the bar, obviously. So if you fa- 
fancy a Guinness and a chat and a chance to meet some of us, uh, we shall be there. So if you'd like to come along, then drop us a quick note, first of all, just so we can check on numbers. It's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. And we'll be there uh, in the evening on the 2nd of March at the Claydon Hotel in Ballsbridge. So uh, we're looking forward to that. And uh, also the event as well, that we've been doing a lot of work behind the scenes this week, uh, setting up interviews and what have you. So we're going to have stacks of content to be playing out to you uh, in, the, in the coming weeks following March. So uh, we're very much looking forward to that. If you can come along and you're in the area, please do let us know. Yeah, it'd be great to see you there. And uh, yeah, meet up with us and the team. We can ha- obviously have a one or two beers in the evening, can't we? I'm teetotal. I don't know what you're on about. Oh, Matt's Matt's having G and T. Oh no, that's alcoholic, isn't it? Oh yeah, G and T total. Quite right. So we're going to start to wrap up the show. Nev, for the benefit of uh, all the listeners who might not know where where we're lurking, whereabouts are we? Oh yes. So if you want to have a look at any of the socials, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, just uh, search for Plain Talking UK. You can find us there. The WhatsApp number is plus forty four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. That's plus forty four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. If you want to get in touch with us by that method, uh, our email address, as I mentioned, is podcast at plaintalkinguk.com and our website is at plain talkinguk.com also uh, don't forget we're on uh, youtube live and uh the, the chat room's in there as well a lot of people in there tonight so really appreciate your uh, company there and also of course uh, you can become a patreon of the show uh, or, or uh, give us some money by paypal if you want to as well that's available on the website so just search plaintalkinguk.com and all the details are there so quick round robin nev what are you up to next week Oh, it's a great question. Uh, no flying next week, just a bit of driving around the country. Um, going to our office in Brighton again next week. Um, actually going there tomorrow as well. Um, but uh, nothing too major, just general general stuff, I would say. And as my green screen fails, uh, Armando, what are you up to next week? Uh, let's see. Uh, one work flight Sunday going back to Naples, Florida. Um, but other than that, the uh, weather is getting nice and warming up, so I'm hoping to get the biplane all completely dialed in, and, and I'm hoping to get a couple of flights uh, now that, that it's kind of springtime here in North Carolina. So I'll send in some videos. I won't be on the show next week. I've actually got a field trip with Maddie to a science museum with her school, so I'll be chaperoning uh, 28 small children. No, thank, <laughs> no, thank you. Probably be the hardest. Oh. <laughs> no, oh, thank you. He'll wish he was yeah, on the show. Yeah, yeah. Nick, what are you doing on two <laughs> wheels next week? I'm probably going to have a crack at replacing the headstock bearings in the Ducati. I, I beg oh, your pardon. Wish me luck. <laughs> <laughs> um, just to reiterate what Nev was saying, um, emails. If any of our lovely listeners want to get in touch. Um, Send us photos, stories, articles, um, got anything that they want to contribute to the show. Um, it's always great to have that as extra content because, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's all part of what makes the, the show great is is the sort of listener uh, mm. involvement and, and participation. So, yeah, get in touch. Drop us an email. Very true. Podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. 
Andy, our awesome guest for this evening, back again. Great to have you on. What are you up to next week? Any exciting flights planned? Uh, I'm flying to Tenerife, but as a passenger. Unfortunately, it's on one of those Boeing 737 things. You're going on a Boeing? Very good. Yes, not much choice in that, but I'm very much looking forward to my holiday. Well, have a lovely trip, Andy. Thank you. Thanks for having me again, as usual. Great to have you on, as always. And that is where we're going to bring the show to a close. Thanks to all the chat room for tonight for joining us. Great to see all you in there, all the family in there, as always. Don't forget to tune in next Wednesday, 7 o'clock here on YouTube, uh, to join us back for the next show. So, Nev, say goodbye. Well, that's great. Thank you very much indeed for joining us all tonight. Really appreciate your company. Uh, Have a great week and weekend, and we'll see you same time next week. So bye for now.